Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast, and thanks for joining me. My name is John Whitaker, and I am grateful for you, glad you're joining me here on the podcast. I hope you are having a blessed summer season, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, a blessed winter or rainy season. I pray that it finds you full of the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here on the podcast over the last few weeks, we've been just been looking at a few things related to really who's in charge of your life. And we're going to continue that on this episode. But before we jump into that, uh, quick two quick little stories uh, from my granddaughters. So I've got two granddaughters that are three and a half. I've got another granddaughter who's 18 months. I've got a grandson who's 18 months. So my son and my daughter and their spouses have been having kids pretty much Uh, right around the same time of each other. So I've got four grandkids, two of which are three and a half. And my two three and a half year old granddaughters, basically within the span of a few days, demonstrated their budding young theology. So Violet, the oldest of the four, she's three and a half, she'll be four in November. Uh, She likes music, loves to sing. And the other day, she was singing and making up her own little worship song, and my son sent me a text summarizing her own little worship song, and here's how her, her worship song went. Jeff texted me, Violet just sang, by the power of Christ's body, the resurrection of the body, life everlasting. And so uh, there it is. We've got life everlasting because of the resurrection of Christ's body. That's awesome. So that's little Violet. And then uh, just a few days after that, ironically, my daughter sent me a text about her three-and-a-half-year-old. And there's a little backstory. Her three-and-a-half-year-old has been asking lots of questions about uh, dying and going to heaven. She's been distraught about that. She doesn't want to leave her family. She doesn't want to leave her home. There's been tears. So my daughter has not been pushing this conversation. Briley keeps bringing it up and asking her. And so when she does, my daughter... Uh, answers her questions and explains uh, how, you know, we're going to be resurrected and all that. Well, here's the text I get from my daughter about Briley. Tonight at dinner, we were saying what we're thankful for. And Briley said, I'm thankful that we don't have to die on the cross. And if we believe in Jesus, we will all live again because of the resurrection of the body. My daughter said we were very impressed and proud, particularly in view of the backstory and how uh, Briley has struggled with this whole concept, even though she's only three and a half, doesn't have to totally get it figured out. So there we have it. My two three and a half year old daughters um, are beginning to learn that uh, their hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus and will lead to their own resurrection someday if they put their faith in Jesus and follow him. So first lesson here today on the Bible and Life podcast from the three and a half year olds. If we believe in Jesus, we will have life everlasting because of the resurrection of the body. Just thought it'd be fun to share that with you. Uh, it's super encouraging to me to watch my uh, my kids, my son and daughter, my daughter-in-law and son-in-law, just watch them intentionally shepherd and love their kids and point them towards Jesus and help them learn the scriptures and learn the way of Jesus. Super encouraging to me. I pass it on to you. Hopefully it's encouraging to you as well. All right, with that, let's jump into the topic for today. And as I said, this 
question really we've been exploring over the last few weeks that we're going to continue on this episode is really who's in charge of our life. And the reality is for each one of us who says that we're followers of Jesus, there's the espoused view. What I mean by that is the view we know we're supposed to say, what, what we know we're supposed to, like how are we supposed to answer that question? Who's in charge of my life? We all have what we're supposed to say. And then we have what actually happens in the course of our life, how we make decisions, how we plan our agendas, how we evaluate our beliefs, other people's beliefs, culture's beliefs, right? Like there's all these things that are shaped by really the the authority of our life, who's really in charge, what's really in charge of our life. And so the, the question for us as followers of Jesus is, does what really shapes our life, helps us make decisions, helps us evaluate beliefs, values, behaviors, and virtues, um, is what's really uh, the authority of our life the same as what's the espoused authority of our life? That's an important question for us just to wrestle with, and that's really what lies behind this current series on the podcast, just wrestling with this, because we are inundated day in and day out with all sorts of messages and ideas and assumptions and values about what's right and what's wrong, what's good what's bad, what makes for a good person, what makes for a bad person, um, how does a person become a good person, what really is a good life, how do we make decisions, how do we uh, evaluate our own life, and how do we determine what, what's really important to pursue in life. All of us are inundated every day through social media, through friends, through advertising, through TV shows we watch, all, through the news. We're just inundated day in and day through school and friends, right? Like we're just inundated day in and day out with all sorts of messaging uh, around these topics. And we have to, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we, we have to ultimately come to the place where, as we said in week number one, God's the absolute boss. What he says goes. Um, we have to, as we said in week number two, last week, we have to have an appropriate and wise, healthy, what the Bible calls fear of God, fear of the Lord, where we recognize that we're accountable to God, that he made us he redeemed us, he's going to judge us, and that our life is created and designed for him and his purposes, and thus we live our life under him, and we have a healthy fear of God because of that. So we, we if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to have all of that. Now, with that in mind, the topic or the question I want to take up today specifically is, what makes the Bible authoritative? What makes the Bible authoritative? And part of the reason this is so important is because, man, a number of people, people who grew up in the church, people who didn't grow up in the church, um, people who once uh, read the Bible, people who have almost never read the Bible, so many people have either said out loud, thought to themselves, wondered about this idea that goes like this. 
the Bible is so old and so out of date, out of touch, why would anyone even listen to it? Now, there's obviously uh, the kind of version of that that comes from complete skeptics who reject God, reject Jesus, reject the Bible, right? The Bible is a complete fairy tale. The Bible is a complete make-believe. There are people who say that. I personally think there are really good answers to those kinds of criticisms or complaints against the Bible. But I'm thinking more for people of faith, people who have some connection to Jesus or the church. How should we understand the Bible's authority? If someone were to press you as a follower of Jesus and wanted you to explain, why do you think the Bible is authoritative? Why, why should anyone listen to it? What would you say? Where does the Bible get its authority, right? Like, where does it come from? How does the Bible function as an authority in our life? This is actually a huge topic with lots of parts to it. There's no way we could explore all the various parts and pieces, implications and questions related to that here in one short podcast. Uh, so what I want to do over the next few minutes is just focus on one key part. And that key part is what makes the Bible authoritative? Why is it authoritative? And the short answer to that question is God. God is what makes the Bible authoritative. The Bible doesn't have any inherent authority on its own. It's not just like it's authoritative because it's a well-established religious book. Or it's authoritative, you know, because the church has been using it for thousands of years. Like, that's not why the Bible's authoritative. The Bible only has authority because God has authority. And the Bible is an expression of his authority. Or uh, as one scholar describes it, the Bible is an exercise of God. It's a way God exercises his authority. God is the one with ultimate and final authority. That was week one. God's the absolute boss. And God has chosen to communicate his, his purposes, his plans, his goals, and his will with us through the Bible. And thus, the Bible is an expression of God's authority. This is super important for how we talk about the Bible, how we talk about right and wrong. Um, I, I think of conversations with young people and teens about certain virtues, often in the realm of sexuality, as to, well, you know, who says that's right? Who says that's wrong? And I think of sometimes the way Christian parents have responded to those sorts of challenges um, by answering, well, the Bible says it's wrong. And that's not the right answer to the question. Um, that's, you know, that's the reason a young person will push back and say, well, why in the world would I ever trust such an old, out-of-touch, out-of-date book anyhow, Right. Um, something's not right because it's in the Bible. Something's not wrong because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible because it's right or wrong. We got to get the order of that right. And that all has to do with the authority and the character of God. So when we're talking about right and wrong, since I'm using that as an example here, when we're talking about right and wrong, something is right because it's in harmony with God's character. And since you and I and all human beings are made in the image of God, we're made to function how God functions. And thus, 
something is right because it honors who God is in keeping with his character, and it honors who we are as human beings made in his image and thus designed to function the way he is. So love is right and indifference and hatred is wrong because God is love and we're made in his image. So therefore we're made to be loving. And when we give and receive love, we flourish as human beings, right? We all know this because we know how desperately we need and we want love and how good it feels when we give love and how good it feels when we receive love. We're made to run on love just as God is because God is love and we're made in his image. That's just one specific example of that. But that's how we need to think about this. Like right and wrong is based not on the Bible. It's based on the character of God and it's in the Bible because of that. And so all of that is just a, a kind of an example of and a reflection on this idea that the Bible has authority because God has authority and the Bible is simply an expression of God's authority. Um, and so God exercises, at least one way God exercises his authority is through the scriptures, through the Bible, by communicating what's going on in the world, what it means to be human, what God is doing in the world, and where God is taking the world, and how we as human beings fit into that. And since now, as God's creations in his image, what then we're supposed to do how we're supposed to live as his people in this world so that we can we can function and be who God has created us and called us to be. And so the Bible is simply one of the, the key ways God expresses or exercises his authority. Here's what that means for you and I as followers of Jesus. It means that we need to learn to sit under the text. We need to sit under Scripture. We don't stand over it, picking and choosing what we like and what we don't like. We don't stand over it, picking and choosing the things we would agree with and disagree with and, you know, getting rid of the things we disagree with. And I like that, right? We have to arrange ourselves under the text, the whole text, submitting to it, trying to understand it, wrestling with it so that we are shaped and formed by it. The other evening, my wife and I were having a conversation about a well-known preacher um, who advocates uh, against preaching through whole Bible books. When he teaches preaching or gives advice to preachers, he specifically says, I don't think we should ever preach through whole Bible books. So my wife and I were talking about this, and I, I was explaining to her his rationale. When I taught preaching... Uh, regularly at the college, uh, I always encourage my uh, my preaching students that they should preach through whole Bible books as sort of the meat and potatoes of their preaching. Occasionally, if they wanted to do a series where they took a topic and they took individual texts and they that spoke to that topic, fine. Um, but that should be supplemental to what I think is the uh, meat and potatoes of our preaching, which is preaching through whole, whole Bible books. But this well-known preacher had a different approach. And he's like, I, we should never really preach through whole Bible books. And the reason he gave was this. Um, the reason he gave is those Bible books are written to different audiences who were asking different questions and had different issues and needs than we necessarily have today. 
And my wife's very perceptive response was, that means he's deciding what's important and what's not important out of the Bible. And that's just not good or healthy for us as the people of God. That was my wife's response when I told her, well, here's the reason he, he, he gives for that. And she says, wait a second. That means he's deciding what's important and what's not important out of the Bible. And what that ultimately means is he's in charge. Whether he realized it or not, I would love to actually sit down and have a conversation with him, point out this observation, this implication, see how he pushed back or responded to that, process it. Don't think I'll ever get the chance, but I would love to. But what it means is he's ultimately over the Bible, in charge, picking and choosing what he thinks meets the needs of today's Christians and followers of Jesus, rather than sitting under the text and just saying, here's what the text says. Um, and I just think that's problematic. If, if we believe in the authority of God, two weeks ago on the podcast, and if we have a healthy reverence, honor, fear of God, last week on the podcast, then we have to arrange ourselves under the Bible. And we have to listen to it. We have to work hard to understand it. We have to figure out, once we understand it, uh, how does that intersect with our world and how does that come into our world and how do we best then respond to it as an individual follower of Jesus and as the people of God today? What is God calling us to do by what the text says? This is really what uh, Jesus is getting at in the end of the Sermon on the Mount when he says, to those who hear these words of mine, and do what it says. They're like a wise man who builds their house on a rock. They're putting into practice. They're listening. They're thinking it through. They're looking at their life. And they're responding to what Jesus said. To those who hear what Jesus teaches but doesn't do what it says. It's like a foolish man who built, built his house on the sand. It's it's what James is getting at in James chapter 1 when he says, Don't be a, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word who deceives himself. He hears it, right? goes to church, hears a sermon, listens to a Bible teaching podcast, but never actually thinks through, what, well, what is that text actually calling of me? How does that like speak directly to my circumstance of my life, and how do I respond appropriately to that? If God is in charge then we need to hear and heed the Bible. If God's the absolute boss, then we need to sit under the text, listen to it, and hear and heed it. In fact, on my website, johnwhitaker.net, and also over at listenerscommentary.com, both of my websites, I have a free ebook, about 30-page ebook, that's all designed to help us do that well, help us hear the text well, heed the text well. So if that sounds like it might be helpful to you, if you feel like, man, I could use some guidance on how to do that better, uh, you might check that out. It gives... Um, five practices for hearing the text well, like five spheres of context we really need to pay attention to in order to hear it well, and five key practices for responding to the text and heeding to the text well. That's what we need to do. We, we need to be people who hear and heed the Bible. So that's the first thing. If, if uh, the Bible has authority because it's an expression of God's authority, we need to sit under the text. The second implication of this is that we need to stay with the text. So sit under the text, but also stay with the text. Here's what I mean by that. There just are going to be things as we read the scriptures that we don't understand. Things that don't make sense. Things that are confusing. And if the Bible is an expression of God's authority, we, we don't write those off. We don't just discount those and say, well, that's just weird. 
<laughs> right? We just, we no, we got to stay with the text because God is in charge and because we want to honor his authority and the Bible's an expression of authority, we're going to stay with it. Uh, we trust God enough to accept that we're not going to understand it all. Like, okay, that's okay. We're humble enough. We know that God is great enough and big enough that there's going to be things that are challenging. We're going to learn more as we go. And so we just stay with it and we keep seeking. We keep wrestling. We keep learning. We keep meditating. We keep believing. And we keep becoming who God wants us to be. And we just stay with it. And month after month, Year after year, reading it, processing it, learning about it, becoming more familiar with the context, finding things that help us understand the background, the culture, understanding how the text is designed to work, right? We just stick with it and stay with the text because since God is in charge, the Bible's in charge as an extension of, expression of his authority. And so we'll sit under the text humbly Letting it give us wisdom for life. When we don't understand it, we'll acknowledge. We'll just admit that. God, I don't quite get this one yet. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrestle with it. I trust you. And so oh, this one feels odd or weird, but Lord, I trust you and I know you're in charge. So I'm going to keep working on that one. But Lord, I trust you. We're just going to humbly sit under the text, letting it give us wisdom for life. And not only that, we'll, we'll, we'll put it into practice. Like we'll respond to it. If, if the, the text is, has authority because God has authority, then we're going to figure out what prayerfully and humbly and maybe even in counsel with others what's the best way to respond to it. And we'll just begin to put it into practice with the help of the Spirit, by the grace of God, to the best of our ability. We'll put into practice what God teaches us through his word. That's what it means for the Bible to be in charge in our life. So what makes the Bible authoritative? It's not that it's an old book. It's not that it's a religious book. It's not that the pastor or the church says so. What makes the Bible authoritative is that God is authoritative. And the Bible is an expression of God's authority in the lives of those who have submitted themselves to his authority, to us as followers of Jesus. And so we sit under the text, we stay with the text, and we keep being shaped and formed by the text. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Again, if you're looking for some guidance on how to do that, you might swing over to johnwhitaker.net and uh, download that free uh, ebook, 30 pages. It should be really helpful to you on just learning how to hear and heed the Bible well. So you might check that out as well. Thanks to all of you who make the Bible in Life and this whole online ministry possible by your prayers and by your faithful, generous support. Couldn't do it without you. So thanks a ton for that. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can do that by just clicking the Give button at johnwicker.net or at listenerscommentary.com. Just swing right there. There's a link down in the notes below where you can hit that. You can set up a monthly donation. You can give a one-time donation. Uh, and all donations are received in partnership with World Family Mission. So thanks a ton to those of you who make this ministry possible. Couldn't, literally couldn't do this without your prayers and your support. May God bless you for it. May God bless each and every one of you as you sit with the text, listen to the text, sit under the text, and let God shape and form you by the text. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you again next week.